I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome on into the show. Scott Mitchell, Jason Buck here. Uh, Rather recently, of course, the traditional National Letter of Intent Day, which is the first Wednesday of uh, February, has come and gone. And, of course, our local teams here, the Utes and the Cougars, that's all we really care about. Sorry, Utah State. Uh, (laughs) Come on, man. We care about Utah State. No, we don't. Let's face it. We don't care. Sorry. Yes, we do. Now you got to do something ma- amazing and spectacular in order to get our attention and love. Love, get it, as in Jordan Love, who's pro- projected, which is crazy, to be a first-round draft choice from Utah State. Oh, bull. Yeah, he is true. not projected first round. A lot of mock drafts have him going in the first round. He's like, That blows me away. Yeah, it's Burroughs to uh, uh, Herbert and uh, Love, and they, they expect them all. They expect the three – to go early and he'll go somewhere mid to late first round is what they're projecting. That doesn't mean anything. That blows me away. I'm shocked. Yeah. But you know what? Good on him. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm excited about anybody. You're not, success, the only, but... yes. You're not the only one shocked, Jason. And uh, anyway, so <clears throat> National Letter of Intent Day, the uh, the second phase, because they have an early signing period in December, which most people really like. A lot of what usually happens happens there. And for Utah, it was it was certainly uh, a significant class. Uh, but the, I think that the one intriguing thing about all of this is uh, um, Devontae Henry Cole, who's been a, a spot running back for Utah, played somewhat last season for Utah, has jumped in the transfer portal and landed at BYU. And, of course, these schools are now holding back scholarships for this very thing. They hold back two or three scholarships uh, to see what might jump out of the transfer portal to see where they might have not gotten the recruits that they needed to bolster certain positions. And so, so this was, this was kind of a big move. And, and uh, my question to you uh, first, and then we'll get into all the other details here. Do you think, do you think that's a good move for, for uh, BYU to have that happen? Oh, absolutely. I think it's a good move for BYU and Devante. I think, I think BYU is an excellent school for these uh, transfer transfer portal running backs. It, you know, BYU is uh, uh, going to be a good, you know, offensive line um, orientated school. You know, and uh, you know, give them attention and go in and be the guy right away, right, and be the stud and get utilized. And I just think it's a great place for both of them. You know, Devontae knows the state of Utah now. He uh, joined uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, so he's perfect for, you know, fit just to be familiar with this state. You know, now he's been here for four years, and that's a great move for both both parties in that one. You know why it happened, don't you? Yeah, Roderick. Roderick knew him, you know, from no. when he was recruited. No, 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 no. What secret do you know? Oh, my goodness, Jason. I can't believe Besides you. Roderick. What, what does every good man do? Married a good little Mormon girl from Utah. Thank you. He follow he follows <laughs> some woman, right? That's what that's what yeah. they do. 
Well, apparently, <laughs> apparently, his rather significant girlfriend is on the soccer team at BYU. So oh, there, okay. There were a lot of reasons. Aaron Roderick, sure, he he's definitely one of those reasons. An opportunity to play. Right, had a good relationship. Yeah. I, I think he saw he saw what happened with uh, Tyson Williams and and how how that really worked out, and that that it's a possibility. And had had he not gotten injured last year, would have had a remarkable season. And so. So I think, yeah. you know, and, and the whole, the whole uh, church thing certainly plays into it. But the girl is like all of it. Yeah, that's top, top banana. Tyson Williams, I think, you know, I think we both agree would have been a thousand yard rusher last year. And so the way they're using him, all right, and so, that's why I think it's just perfect place for guys like them to, you know, BYU to transfer to. I think I think one of the things that's interesting to me, okay. Is you have this, um, you have this, like, my question is, well, can anyone help you right now? Right. And, and because you look at BYU and yes, I think they will be better on the offensive line. They're really solid at quarterback. They're really solid at tight end. They're really solid. Uh, it looks like now at running back, but what about wide yeah. receiver? It just seems to be kind of the area that that's a challenge for them. Is, did did they get anything in the signing period of of any any immediate help at that wide receiver position? I look like that kid from Vegas. Um, when I was reading up on it, it has the most potential to give them immediate help at receiver. Um, and you know, receiver is a position where young guys can help right away. You know, much more so obviously than you know the front seven. But you're right. They they need they need help there, and they've been kind of weak at that position for a little while now. So ho- hopefully the you know, that kid from Vegas, you know, can can give them some spark there at receiver. Yeah. So Miles Davis is his name. Uh, he he's one yeah. of the one of the guys that committed to him. Um, I, I just they there was another player they got out of of modern day. Uh, Epps. Yeah who they think um, actually was – he was recruited by quite a few schools, and they felt like his size – like he had an opportunity to go to a Pac-12 school, a, a Power 5 school, and he didn't. And uh, a lot of it was because he felt that he could play immediately. And he might be a guy that, you know, w- whether he is or he isn't, I don't really know. Uh, but I do know that um, – He's he's a guy that that you could certainly look to as potentially a guy that can help right now. Because isn't that isn't that what you? I mean, isn't that what you kind of want from? I don't know. I do. It's like I, I hate I hate this signing day period, personally. Yeah, yeah. You know, you want yes. I mean, especially when you're weak at the position like they are. I mean, they need help there right now. You gotta. And it's a position that kids can come in as a, a freshman and, and contribute, you know, without getting their head ripped off, you know, like an offensive lineman that would be rare for a true freshman to come in and play. Um, BYU needs that. And so, you know what, it makes perfect sense for him, like you said, having some power five offers and really good looks. BYU, that's their one advantage besides, you know, the church call and, and be an LDS, you know, if he is, is obviously a big one. But the ability to be able to come in and play right now right. versus going to, a, you know, USC or UCLA, 
in a skill position, man, it'd be that would be really enticing. So hopefully you can get in and and really get in there and help you because they, they they do need that. Well, um, there, we had an interesting conversation the other night with uh, Mitch Harper, who's on KSLSports.com, and he's the BYU insider. And he he mentioned, and I'll probably be shot for saying this, but he said players that come in and kind of stay and play tend to have better success at BYU than the ones that go on missions and come back later. Yeah, I said it. Yeah, you know, you know, Scott. It, I've always told people, you know, people that whether I was playing in the NFL or newspapers you know you have a locker room in the nfl they get on you and say well you guys have all these old guys that they're just you know they're two years older and that's why you're good and that's cheating and i'm like hey guys you don't realize i'd say more players that go on missions come back worthless than the players that come back and are awesome from going on a mission i mean i i saw that all the time at byu it was not a you know, it wasn't a guaranteed win for guys to go on missions and come back like they're freaking yoked studs ready to play football. I mean, some of them did, but a lot of them washed out. And so I, I didn't look at the, you know, mission program as a big advantage to BYU. If anything, it was, at the best, it was a wash. Yeah. That's an interesting, that's an interesting perspective. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, you know, you've seen guys come back and play better and, and not. And so, uh, yeah, you see guys that come back look, with zero desire to play football anymore. The bottom, they, the bottom line is, it's a, on a, yeah, it's a really good thing for someone to go do in their life, and and it is, it, it really is, and and would not fault it. Would want recommend that to anyone, but um, you know, football and it, and the, it's just it's kind of challenging to be able to do both of those things. No, it is, it, it is awesome. Right? I didn't go I mean, on a mission, J- I didn't go on a mission, Jason. You didn't go on a mission, and nope. we, and we're still active members of our church, and yep. we're good people. Steve Young didn't go, and Robbie Bosco didn't go. Steve Young had anxiety, so he couldn't go. And um, and (laughs) I, I have little tiny horns that grow out of my head. They're not big ones, little tiny ones. But other than that, I'm okay. But that's yeah, me too. I get the little horns that you know when I grew up in Michigan, everybody come up and fill our heads because we were Mormon, and they thought we had horns in our head. You look more sinister than me, by the way. Your look, my beard. Yeah, you're you're kind of a you're a worldly man, Jason. It's the defensive lineman thing. You know what you are? You're a worldly man with a <laughs> with a with a pure heart. That's what you are. Yeah. I'm a, I'm I'm a good Latter Day Saint that'll you're crusty, bite you at the drop of a hat. You're crusty on the <laughs> you're crusty on the outside and warm and gooey on the inside. That's what you yeah. are. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. So, um, I, I think I think probably the big thing for BYU is that they're always pushing getting depth and it feels like they've really been able to do that the last couple of years yeah. in recruiting and they're yeah the, you cover, know what the I covers think, aren't quite I, I, as I think improving I, I think he's you know getting better each year he's growing as a coach um it seems like i see some sparks in the recruiting that i like um you know i think he's changed his recruiting from the first two years that i recruited you know, a couple of recruiting classes I saw, I, I, I see it changing a little bit. So it's telling me that he's getting smarter. You know, they, they've, they've got to move. They, they finished 81st, you know, when, and they got to get, honestly, they got to get up there around 50, I think. Cause BYU is never going to, 
you know, be up there in the top 20 or 30, and but they can be up there around 50, and then, you know, because they're projecting players. They just got to be better at projecting players. And when they start kicking out the NFL numbers again, like, you know, five players a year and the type of numbers we got back in the 80s, then I'll know they're getting the right players. They're developing them into NFL players. Thus, you know, they're competing. They might be recruiting at the 50th number, but they're finishing, you know, around the top 25, right? Yep. And and then, then, then they're where they should be. All right. Well, switching gears here, we're going to go over to the Utah side of it. And speaking of where their class ranks, uh, Utah was 29 in the country and fifth in the Pac-12, which is – and actually the overall rating of the class is the highest that it's ever been since Utah has joined the Pac-12. So the success of the last couple of years – kind of moving where you're competing for championships has certainly uh, enticed a, a lot of people to the program. More four-star uh, recruits than Utah's ever had. They've, uh, Of course, they've had a, a transfer portal in Jake Bentley from um, uh, South Carolina, and that will be an interesting battle to see who the quarterback is. But the, but the thing that, that I kind of like about this, you have uh, Xavier Carlton, who's a four-star defensive lineman out of Juan Diego. You've got Van Fillinger, who uh, who flipped from Texas, another four-star kid out of Corner Canyon. You have Clark Phillips the third, who flipped from uh, Ohio State to Utah, another four-star guy. And uh, you have Nate Ritchie, of course, who was a, who actually his final grade, I guess, in high school came out as a four-star player and he went to to lone peak but you're what you're what you end up getting or what what i'm liking and i and it's been a pet peeve of mine is you've got th- these really good players need to stay in the state of utah and play here yeah, locally, they do. but they have to have a reason to stay too and and you get a sense that utah is is one of those power five schools in a power five conference that's now giving them something to really consider and and look at and and you've seen that you've seen a lot of these a lot of these players that uh, could go other places and even had offers and even, you know, some of them flipped their commitments. And I've asked a lot of people, I've said, look, does, does this mean anything uh, that these players are, fl- they're flipping their commitments and they, they're like, this oh. is unprecedented, right? You've never heard this from, from yeah. happening at Utah or anything. So yeah, it's, it's a significant deal that this happens. Well, buddy, just to tell you, you know, you're Mr. Utah, but I've got one on you with Utah that you don't know. And that is, I was speaking up in Idaho and giving a speech in eastern Idaho. So I got to know the Tongii that you just signed. Yes. The 6'6", 320. Yes. And mom was Washington and Nebraska. Well, yeah. Yeah, he was getting offered from Nebraska. When I talked to him up there, because um, his mother's father was a professor of mine at Rick's College, and the mother so knew me from back at Rick's. I gave the speech, talked to her and the kid, gave him advice. At that time, they told me Utah was kind of out of the picture, and they weren't really talking to him that much, and he was looking at Washington or Nebraska. And uh, it was just killing me that BYU wasn't in on the hunt on this one. They'd offered him, but because he said they just kind of disappeared didn't talk to him again. I gave up the pursuit. And uh, BYU, if I if I was done a coaching for Kalani, number one, I would have had Tongi at BYU. So too bad for that. But I'm really glad to see that uh, Utah came back in the picture and must have really got after him at the, the end. 
And, you know, I advise him if you want to stay close to home, get where there's an NFL coach that can get you the NFL and the best program, and it means a lot to stay close to home. So I think that Look at you, you Jason know, really, Buck. He's recruiting. It really helped him. You're recruiting for the dark side. Look at you. Well, no. I, I didn't I didn't say a school. I mean, BYU, Utah, but you want to go or are you going to get a chance to go to the NFL talking to the mom? I think they'd really like to go to BYU if the program was right. But it looks like they changed their mind the last second that, and went to Utah. Yeah, that was a that was a late late get and a, and a surprise and one that really it's, yeah. it continued to bolster uh, this class for Utah. Well, oh they, yeah, because he looked like he was going to Nebraska when I talked to him. Yeah. Utah really wasn't in the picture, and and it was making me sick that a kid like that from Eastern Idaho wasn't going to Utah or BYU or even Utah State. You know, staying close to home, yeah. but. Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad he stayed close to home. Well, I think, I think classy that, family and BYU's got to start getting guys like that. I think the thing about about this this signing day. So, if you look at a school like BYU, it's that have, have they created some depth, and and it appears yeah. that they've done that with the linebacker position yeah. and some of the other positions that, and and they've also you know there might be a player or two that that immediately might come in and help, and they've created some speed yeah. and there's there's just a lot of you know, it, it feels like recruiting, and it's a long process. So it, it's, it, you know, it'll be interesting to see what kind of impact that has down the road. And and you know, yeah. but from the it U- looked like BYU's getting a little better length out at defensive end. They had a couple of six four guys in there at uh, DN and got some depth to the D line. And and I agree, it looks like it's you know getting better. From the Utah side of it, it's not um rebuilding it's more reloading and you and you look yeah. at these players and that's a good thing because that's not necessarily what's happened in the past so so you're you're a program because if you if you slip and fall off the radar you know you're kind of a one hit wonder type of program you look at Washington state where a couple of years ago they're you know Gardner Minshew and they're they're going to a you know a popular bowl game and they have that they have one remarkable season and it's not something they can sustain. And, and, and in order to really build a, a competitive program, you've, you've got to have consistent years of recruiting and, and, and production. And so will Utah win the South again this year? It's going to be more competitive than it certainly has been the last couple of years. But they've got players with ability – in positions, you know, they've got they've got some solid people coming in at quarterback and they've got a good staple of running backs and their offensive line, you know, which is hopefully will be more mature because most only one guy is lost there. They have they have two returning defensive linemen. They the the one place in the secondary they're basically depleted and so so that's that's the area that they've but they've got talented talented players. And so I think for both of these programs the the goals and objectives of recruiting feel like to me they've been they've been um, achieved and they and they're going to be these teams that are that are are going to be better because of it moving forward. Yes, and you know Kyle Kyle's proven Kyle Whittingham has proven as you know his, his recruiting class is moving up, but he's proven that he develops players. Right, and so even though he's recruiting at the say the number twenty nine that they hit, his output. You know, by the time he's developed them and had them there for four or five years, and the system is much higher than that. Right. And so that's just good news for you. You would you think know, you would think getting better players and that they're developed better, they're gonna they're gonna yeah. compete at a higher level. 
yes, they're going to be top, yeah. top, you know, Kyle will have them at the top 10 level of play. Right. All right, we're going to take right. a break. We come back. I guess uh, some guy here in Utah named Andy Reid won a Super Bowl, and um, I'm not sure there's a person in America that's sad about it. We'll find out what Jason thinks when we get back. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to Rival. Scott Mitchell, Jason Buck here. Uh, apparently, Andy Reid finally did it. And I can tell you that was the first thought that I had because with six minutes and 10 seconds to go and the 49ers down by 10 points and Patrick Mahomes is just throwing another interception, you're like, the San Francisco 49ers are going to win the Super Bowl. It's going to be another year for Andy Reid. Maybe Patrick Mahomes isn't quite the player we thought he was because he's he's not, you know, to that point, his passer rating was 49.5, which was not very good. He'd thrown two interceptions. He hadn't thrown an interception in 164 passes. So it didn't look good for the Kansas City Chiefs, and lo and behold, they did what they've been doing all this offseason, and that's coming, yeah. coming back from uh, from double-digit deficits. And so – what, well, just initially, you know, what are your thoughts about Andy Reid finally getting his first Super Bowl victory? Oh, man, I'm so, so excited for Andy Reid. I mean, he's just, he is nothing but a, a first-class person. And, and, you know, he's so much like Lavelle, honestly. You know, I I was calling him about a year ago, it was about a year ago, just looking at, you know, trying to get into, you know, coaching the NFL, and you got to start out as a quality control, you know, assistant. And man, he picks up the phone on a Saturday afternoon. I was going to leave a message and talk to me for like an hour. I mean, he's just a, you know, down to earth, you know, great guy. You can tell that by the way the team just loves him. So, you know, seeing coach this long and being a Lavelle guy, a product of Lavelle's coaching, um, it was awesome to see him, see him win it. I mean, nobody deserves it more. There, there's a couple of things I think are really interesting about Andy Reid. And this is the first one. He's a guy that completely owns who he is. Yeah. Uh, he's he's an overweight guy. Uh, he yep. he wears facial hair, and he doesn't pretend to be anything else, anybody else. He's extremely comfortable in his own skin and who he is. And there's an right. uh, there's an authenticity to that. It's a it's a believability. And and when you have a coach that you may not like to hear what he has to say, or or you love to hear what he says because you know you can trust it and and i and i think that's such a, a an important um component of a of a coach a great coach 
and you've been around the really good coaches and, and you've been around the really bad coaches and, and, and they all have different personalities, but they all own whatever personality they are. They don't, they don't try to pretend to be this, this person, you know, that's, that's really something um, that he's not. And, and so I, I, I really, you know, cause I was thinking about why do so many people like Andy Reid? And it was like, cause he just, he just, you know what? He's, he's just fat and it's like, okay. And, and he, and he owns it. And, and like, like he's not trying, he's not trying to be this image. You see so right. many, so many of these young coaches that are just like, they're all super fit and they're all this and they, and they, they wear the part, they own the part and, and, and that's them and that's fine. And that's great. And it just tells me that he's really confident in his knowledge of football and, and he's, he's confident in how he relates to people. Cause he's funny. Andy Reid's a funny guy and, and really he has funny. this personality that is like, yeah, I know, I know the personality and, and you love coaches like that where, where you go out to practice and you're just like, Oh man, you know what? I, I, this is drudgery. This is a long deal. And he just, yeah, he, just has, he just has a way of lightening up the mode and, and the mood and all of that. But he also has the ability to be really serious and, and really down to earth. And then he, right, he's real. He's, he's right? real. He's, he's, he's real. He's real. He really is. And, and, and I think that's what people appreciate that authenticity. Here's yeah. the other part of it though. Why I think he's such a good coach. And he was, he was known to be from a tree, right? So he's a, he's ultimately, the responsibility of Bill Walsh. You know, Bill Walsh hires Mike Holmgren. Mike Holmgren ultimately hires Andy Reid. And Andy Reid learns from Mike Holmgren, blah, 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 right? And and then he goes right. off and he becomes a head coach. But what, what Andy Reid has done that I think not everyone does, and and then there's there's the there's the two Bills. There's the Bill Parcells tree and there's the Bill Walsh tree. And a lot of most of football today is influenced by those two coaching uh, genealogies and yeah. origins, right? But what I've noticed with Andy Reid is Andy Reid said, you know what? I love you, Bill Walsh and, and Mike Holmgren. I'm starting my own tree. I'm going to build my own orchard, and I'm going to get me some fruit trees here, and I'm going to send them out in the world. I mean, Because Doug Peterson was not only – a former player of when he was in Green Bay, but also when he was the head coach in uh, New, uh, the Philadelphia. And then Doug Peterson comes in and goes and coaches with Andy Reid, and then he becomes the head coach and wins a Super Bowl. And you have yeah. you have um, Matt Nagy, and you have other guys who who are having success in the NFL who came directly from uh, Andy Reid. Now, of course. You can't help but uh, be influenced by some of the people you coach with. And you know Mike Holmgren had a, a significant impact on Andy Reid and his style and, and, and having, you know, you know, having the relationship with Lavelle Edwards. and, and, and Yeah, from both of them, from, right? I mean, right. I, that's how Mike, Andy Reid got the job with Holmgren is they're both Lavelle guys. Exactly. And so, yeah. so here you have this, um, this guy that is really authentic and true to himself – but he's also a guy that has his own uh, chutzpah, you know. He has his yeah. own, you know. He he he's growing trees, you know. He's he's not just he's not just falling off of it. And and you look at even some guys like Bill Belichick, who who the trees he's grown have not produced fruit, you know. Even as great as Bill Belichick has been, 
his success has not necessarily trickled down to guys going on and being head coaches. And I, I and it just speaks. And I'm not disparaging Bill Bill Belichick as he'll go down as the greatest football coach in NFL history. But there's there's something to be said for a guy like Andy Reid, who who's had this significant impact on a lot of these coaches and their ability to have success at what they do. And I have to believe, Jason, that that's extremely satisfying. You know, we, we want to, we want to inspire people. We want to, if we know that we're not only um, making them feel better, but they're, they're having an impact in the world. Like think of Doug Peterson and, and what kind of influence he's had and, and what kind of impact being a head coach has helped him and his family and, and, and the repercussions of that for generations and when you and there and there are just certain people in this world that have that kind of impact, and and you just kind of see a guy like Andy Reid having that and and being able to yeah. to have that impact on people. And and that, to me, it's just it's just a couple of things that really speak out to me about his, you know, why he's so liked and and what's yeah. what's significant he's, about him. He's one of those coaches that everybody loves to play for and love to work for. And they remember him the rest of their lives to their dying day, whether it's the players or his assistant coaches. You know, he's that Joe Gibbs, that Lavelle Edwards, you know, Bill Walsh. Those those men, you can see it. They, you know, they, it's, they're loved by everyone that they touch in their life because they're, they're real people, they're sincere, they're – you know, they, they don't, they're not an ego. I mean, they're competitive, obviously, but they're not uh, self-centered and ego driven. Right. It's not about them. It's about everybody else. They're, they're, it's just those special guys that are competitive, world-class leaders that all those that come in contact with them, just love them. They're those great mentors. And, you know, he's, he has uh, become one of those, one of those men and will be remembered like that. Well, um, it's it's awesome what's happened. Couldn't be happier for the guy, and yeah. and especially when we make uh, expectations or predictions or um, and we're right and we're just right about Kansas City. Remember, right I picked the, them from the yep. start of the playoffs. Yep. Well, yeah. But, but you know what? It you know, Jason, I game. picked them from the beginning of the year. Actually, it was the yeah. it was the Kansas City Chiefs and the Chicago Bears, and I picked the Kansas City Chiefs to win the Super Bowl, and, and I think it's just the beginning of Patrick Mahomes. Um, yeah, it's beginning. I was always pro Andy Reid, been wanting, been wanting him to, to do it, and uh, you know, that's why I talked, about, talked to him about you know, possibly coaching with him because you, know, you tell he's the guy on his team going on the march, and Mahomes is special. I mean, he is so special. So I, I was just so happy. It was just a fantastic Super Bowl all the way around, well coached on both sides of the ball, and and really went down to the last two and a half minutes of the game. So, and I believe, it was, yeah, it was a great game. I believe. Yeah, I'm going to pat my own back back here, Jason. I believe that a year ago, I was having this. Um, I was doing this thing on another podcast I do, which I won't name. But yes. uh, <laughs> I I was talking about these generational players. And these generational yeah. moments. And I brought up Patrick Mahomes a year ago. Yeah. And I said, this guy is the next generation of professional football. He's he's the guy. He's going to be the face of professional football for the next generation. Yeah, he's special. And, and most, of the no player, most of the players have an introduction with some play, some moment. 
right? Where they, they just go, what the heck was that? Whether it was yeah. the catch from Joe Montana or or the uh, the drive or, you, you know, it was the immaculate reception or what, whatever whatever it might be. Right. And and I and and so a year ago this happened and I remember in the championship game which most of, it's interesting most of these plays happen in championship games or playoff games and Patrick Mahomes is very innocuously running out of bounds to you know stop the clock late in the first half so the team can you know they're probably just going to kick a field goal and 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 in instinct and intuition and understanding the whole circumstance the fact that they had timeouts left he he kind of does a slight hesitation which is total improv it's total in the moment and then he skirts around the end and cuts back to the inside and spins off a couple of guys and carries three three Tennessee Titans into the end zone and I yeah. believe that's the play of this generation it was in, it was one of the most incredible plays that I had seen all season long and and you know the Kansas City Chiefs are wearing this 49-year drought, 50 Super Bowls ago, of yeah. you know, and and they're like, and this is a close game, and they and they've lost, they've lost, they haven't won a playoff game, you know, and a championship game in Arrowhead Stadium for years, and so they're carrying all of that angst with them, and in that moment, it all went away. The the Chiefs won the game got to the Super Bowl, ushered in a new generation of professional football in that one moment. I really believe this. Yeah. I, I, buddy, I think this was just a fantastic year for the NFL. And honestly, in the whole, you know, American patriotism, the game, you know, that whole part of it where the NFL just came back, they ran the right advertisements before the game, the Johnny Cash, you know, flag. Uh, you know, Isaac's flag story and, and that little boy running through the streets and the, you know, to usher and all the youth onto the field. And, you know, I just think this was a great year for the NFL overall. And, you know, Mahomes, like you said, ushering in the new era, you know, and Andy Reid and the class and, and just the right thing of the NFL from what had gone through from the last couple of years and the black eye they had. I think this was a, a fantastic year because NFL done right honestly represents America. It does, you know, red, white, and blue, and who we are, and the rugged individuals we are, you know, the under such a patriot, and watching them sing the national anthem, and the jets flying over, and it's just Americana, and I'm, you know, they're feeling the tingles up and down my spine, and I just, it was, I was so happy for the NFL this year to to do it right. All right, we're going to leave it uh, at that because yeah. I don't want to talk about the halftime show. So we'll just leave it. No, out. no, that was that uh, was not uh, family uh, orientated. <laughs> uh, zip, zip. Nope. Okay. All right. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, happy for Andy Reid and uh, yes. kind of a, a very exciting thing. All right. Well, uh, this round of rivals is over. He's Jason Buck. I'm Scott Mitchell. We're powered by KSLSports.com. Find us on Facebook at the Rivals Podcast, Twitter at the Rivals Show, and until then, all right. This one time a year, I'm going to give it to you, Jason. You can one on leap year on the 29th of February. You can, if you're out there in this world, you can act like Jason. And, and don't be like Scott Mitchell. On that one day. On that one day.